Welcome to TRP's presentation of the Stations of the Cross. We encourage you to silence your notifications, to listen to each reading, and to contemplate the final day of Jesus' life. Jesus stands alone. Just hours before, he was eating what would become his final meal with his friends. But following a tumultuous night in which Jesus has experienced betrayal at the hands of his own, where he has pled for his life in the garden while his closest friends sleep a stone's throw from where he kneels in agony, a night which ended in his unlawful and undeserved arrest, he now stands on trial before Pilate. Abandoned, forsaken, denied, alone. The people that he came to save are shouting, screaming for him to die. He's innocent, yet they chant, crucify him. Jesus has always known it would end this way, but the emotions he feels, we may never fully understand. After hearing the testimony, Pilate washes his hands of the man and hands him over to be executed. Gospel of Matthew's account of the story, it recounts, The governor's soldiers took Jesus into the governor's house, and they gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. This would number approximately 600 soldiers. They stripped him and put a red military coat on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They put a stick in his right hand, and they bowed down in front of him and mocked him, saying, Hey, king of the Jews. After they spit on him, they took the stick and struck his head again and again. When they finished mocking him, they stripped him of the military coat and put his own clothes back on him. They led him away to crucify him. The abject horror of crucifixion in Jesus' time and culture has been muted in our own. We may consider the physical pain it caused from time to time, perhaps in a service like this, but in the shame-based culture of the first century, death by crucifixion was most notable for the degradation and humiliation and utter inhumanity it inflicted upon its victims. Fleming Rutledge writes, crucifixion was specifically designed to be the ultimate insult to personal dignity, the last word in humiliating and dehumanizing treatment degradation was the whole point. Jesus receives the implement of his undeserved shame in the form of a heavy crossbeam, and he begins to carry it to the site of his death. journey to Golgotha processed through streets lined with people, jeering and spitting and ridiculing the convicted but innocent felon. 
the emotional torment was matched by the physical difficulty of this journey. Before he began to carry his cross, Jesus had been scourged by professional executioners who knew the tolerance of human beings' pain due to their considerable experience. Jesus' back was shredded and exposed, his head wounded, his body broken. The sheer size and weight of the cross would make this a difficult journey. But the difficulty was magnified, however, by what this cross symbolized. A guilt not his own, a shame undeserved, the sin of the entire world. The cross was weighed down with brokenness and recalcitrance, mine, yours, everyone who has ever lived. With each step, the weight increased, eventually causing Jesus to collapse under its pressure. He knows what it is to feel defeated, dirty and bloody. He knows what it is to feel pain and emotional and spiritual torment. He feels that weight on the road and it crushes him. According to church tradition, Jesus meets his mother on the way to Golgotha. Perhaps it is here, now, just after he has fallen, that he can hear her voice. Perhaps as he glances up, he notices a commotion, a shuffling in the crowd, just before his mother emerges. When everyone else has left him, his mother has come to stand by his side, to walk with him one more time to attempt to carry her share of the weight he feels. Together they have been through so much, the rumors, the scandal surrounding both of their identity, him the son of God, her a suspected adulteress. They have escaped threats on his life by a jealous dictator and by religious leaders. There have also been, no doubt, more widely experienced occurrences shared between a mother and her son skinned knees and bad dreams, dried tears and warm embraces. There are no words to adequately express the bond between these two. What is communicated by her mere presence in this most horrific day is love, even unto death. Such is the love between a mom and her baby boy. Simon, a man from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, was standing nearby as Jesus fell. As Jesus is growing weaker, the soldiers are growing impatient. They seize Simon to help Jesus carry the weight of the cross. Alexander McLaren writes, How little these soldiers knew that they were making this man immortal. What a strange fate that is which has befallen chose persons in the gospel narrative 
who for an instant came into contact with Jesus Christ. Like ships passing athwart the white ghost-like splendor of moonlight on the sea, they gleam silvery pure for a moment as they cross its broad belt and then are swallowed up again in the darkness. This man Simon, fortuitously as men say, meeting the little procession at the gate of the city, for an instant is caught in the radiance of the light and stands out visible forevermore to all the world and then sinks into the blackness and we know no more about him. But Jesus knows Simon. He knows the weight Simon has carried through his life. Simon may not realize it, but he is in some small way helping to carry the weight of humanity. He's brought into a story that will change history. McLaren continues, he probably thought Jesus a common criminal and would resent the task laid upon him by the rough authority of the officer in command, but he was gradually touched into some kind of sympathy, drawn closer and closer as we suppose, as he looked upon his dying meekness and at last yielded to the soul conquering power of Christ. Church tradition also identifies a young woman by the name of Veronica, a friend of Jesus, who steps onto the road and wipes the sweat and dust and blood from Jesus' face. We are unaware of the genesis of their friendship, but one could assume from the gospel records that at some point in her life, Jesus was there, healing or forgiving or teaching or just including. The bond that was built between them was based on an experience of Jesus' goodness, his kindness, his presence. And in this simple gesture, bending down to wipe his brow, Veronica does what she can to return goodness and kindness and presence to him. Even with the help of Simon, Jesus struggles to keep his footing. He falls a second time. A stale cloud of dust rises around him as he and the cross collide with the dirt. He feels the sting of dirt in his wounds. He stares at the dusty ground as sweat and blood and tears fall and make trails in the earth beneath him. Remember, you are dust, and to dust you will return. Jesus is brought low, for we remember that more than the weight of wood and nails, more than the weakness instigated by the soldiers who have beaten him, more than the physically demanding task at hand, Jesus is carrying a broken world. He is being broken for the sake of the broken. He is being broken by the hands of those he came to save.
bearing witness to the agony inflicted by Jesus' journey to Golgotha, the place of the skull, the women of Jerusalem begin to mourn and wail for Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke's retelling, Jesus turns to the women and says, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Jesus knew the sorrow this broken world would experience. Jesus knew what was on the other side of the next few days. Jesus knew what was in store for Jerusalem and for the world. He continued, Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Jesus, even in the last moments of his life, thought of his people. While he was enduring the worst pain of his life, he wept for others. While his posture was low and his morale was desecrated, he wept for those he loved dearly. Jesus' journey to the site of his execution is nearly complete, yet he falls again a third time. The road has been long, though few realize how long ago the journey really began. For a bystander watching these events unfold, how different a man was this who stumbled to his feet before them. The one who once performed miracles. The one who once healed the lame and the blind. The one who forgave sinners and restored the broken. This man, this Jesus, now nothing more than a shell of his former self, or so it seems. so-called criminal, Jesus, is stripped of his garments in front of the crowd. This was commonplace for Roman executions. Jesus now stands completely vulnerable and helpless, naked and in agony. The Gospel of John recounts the soldiers' interaction. Let's not tear the garment, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. Beyond Jesus' humiliation, they had something to profit. So the soldiers cast lots for his clothes, making a mockery of his dignity and providing of Psalm 22, which says, all my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments.
Despite the depictions of centuries of art, nails were not driven through Jesus's palms. A person's hands could not hold the weight of their body on the cross. Instead, large spikes were driven through Jesus's wrists. The beam was then placed on an upright wooden post, which was set permanently in place at a crossroads or on a well-trafficked artery to aid in the visibility of the event. The very public nature of crucifixion was to ensure the event as a spectacle and to warn others of following the example of those who were attached to the beams. Rutledge writes, crucifixion as a means of execution in the Roman Empire had as its express purpose the elimination of victims from consideration as member of the human race. It was meant to indicate to all who might be toying with subversive ideas that crucified persons were not of the same species as either the executioners or the spectators and were therefore not only expendable but also deserving of ritualized extermination. Perhaps it is notable that according to some gospel traditions, Jesus continues to include, to forgive, to care for his family while standing as an emblem of inhumanity. Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Words cannot encapsulate the gravity of this moment. One scholar writes, In order to speak of the crucified God, we need a theology of abandonment, of dereliction, of an alienation so profound that it can only be expressed in language marked by paradox and by great daring and risk. The crucifixion of the Son of God by one of the most advanced civilizations in the ancient world does not seem to be an acceptable or reasonable method of redeeming the world. And yet, this is the method chosen. Jesus, in his last recorded utterance on the cross, cries out, It is finished. The division, the brokenness, the alienation, the shame and guilt and sin and death it is finished, and he breathed his last. Dust has finally settled, and evening is now approaching. Mary stands by the cross where the body of her son still hangs. She is consumed by uncontrollable grief. Permission was given by Pilate to remove Jesus from the cross, so Joseph, a counselor from Arimathea, and Nicodemus, who had visited Jesus earlier, take the body of Jesus down from the cross. They struggle with carrying the weight, but they bring Jesus' body over to his mom. Mary's son is laid in her arms, and a fresh wave of sorrow comes over her. All of the life they lived together floods in her mind in this surreal moment of loss. Jesus had completely changed Mary's life, 
from the moment she was visited by the angel telling her she would have a baby, to welcoming him to the world in Bethlehem, to seeing him grow into a man. She questions where her son has gone and is overcome with exhaustion. The thought of this new void is too heavy to bear. Tony Jones writes, At the very moment that Jesus was closest to his eternal glory, he seemed to be farthest from it. His body was placed in a stone-cold tomb, sealed with a massive rock, guarded by Roman soldiers. Death is so very final. The disciples are hiding in fear. The women are already planning to visit the tomb to anoint Jesus' broken body. No one was anticipating a crucified Messiah, and no one was anticipating what lay ahead. For the time being, their world had grown dark for their friend, their leader, their teacher, their brother, and their son. He was dead. <laughs> 